Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 110 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Thursday, May 21st, 2020. Hope you're all getting by as we sort of start to come out of our caves, our shells, whatever you want to call it. Um, do hope you're still taking care of yourselves. Today's show, another loaded one. We're going to talk a little bit about Patrick Chun in the second half of the show. We're also going to continue or really sort of dive into the summer scouting project a bit. We're going to talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo, a little bit on how Kyle Shanahan helps him, a little bit on his footwork and how feet are the mind into the are the window into the mind of the quarterback. But we kick things off with underdog week. And I'll get to that in a second, but before we do, your usual reminders here at the outset. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the worker places like Inside the Pylon, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. And we start like so many shows across the SB Nation Podcast Network and like so many articles on SB Nation or the various SB Nation websites are this week. With the idea of underdogs. And it is underdog week here at SB Nation. And we love to root for underdogs. You know, I I don't want to exclude people here. But rooting for underdogs is kind of like one of America's things. And I know across sports, most people like to root for underdogs. It's the idea that you two could achieve greatness, right? You know, the ultimate David versus Goliath story. We love to root for underdogs. But there are also some sort of sociological, historical underpinnings to that idea here in the States. You know, for example, a historian, Ed Ayers, um, summed up in an interview with WBUR um, back in 2018. He sort of summed up America's fascinations with fascination with underdogs this way. And he said, quote, I think ever since 13 scrappy colonies went up against the largest empire in the modern world. The beauty of America is everybody can think of themselves as an underdog in some way. The only true ones were the indigenous people who had some home court advantage, but still ended up really suffering from all that. I think it does seem to be something that's hardwired into the American psyche to somehow cheer for people who seem as if they are up against the odds. I mean, I think that's what the country is really about. The American dream is everybody has a chance. And if you find that the underdogs don't have a chance, it kind of pokes holes in that dream. And so rooting for underdogs is kind of what we do. And that's made Underdog Week here at SB Nation a little bit easy. And since it is Underdog Week, and since I do have a platform with which I can write about things such as underdogs, I took the opportunity to put together one final ode. Now... Those of you that have been following this show sort of in its previous form, its previous version over at Locked On Patriots and sort of into this season know that I'm a fan of what I like to call odes, right? It's sort of a a reference to Skyrim and you hear that music in the background right now. And I talk about, you know, players that you will sing songs about in Mead Halls and things like that. And Shaq Mason was certainly a player that got various odes, particularly in the 2018 season, not maybe as much in the 2019 season, but another player that had many shows of odes dedicated to him and 
Sons being son of the meat halls, James Depp. And so I wanted to sort of talk about and give sort of a final ode to James Devlin. And there is a piece up, you know, over at Paul's, Pat's Pulpit that you can read. But on a team filled with underdogs throughout its recent run, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Malcolm Butler, Troy Brown, James Devlin might be the ultimate underdog story. I mean, yes, Tom Brady was picked in the sixth round, and he was picked 199, and there were six quarterbacks taken him before him. But he played at Michigan, right? He was drafted. Julian Edelman was a quarterback at Kent State. He was drafted. James Devlin? James Devlin was a defensive end at Brown. Noted, of course, for being a massive football factory. He was a defensive end that managed 15 sacks over his career in the Ivy League. He was a defensive end that didn't get an invitation to the 2010 scouting combine. Rather, he had to wait for his pro day to work out, where he put up an impressive 39 reps on the bench, which was better than two defensive ends, defensive linemen that did get drafted, Ndamukong and Sue and Gerald McCoy. But ultimately, Devlin was not drafted. He did get a rookie tryout with the Cleveland Browns, but failed to secure a contract. His phone did ring for another tryout invitation with the Oklahoma City Yard Dogs of the Arena League. Now, Devlin accepted it, took the tryout, and here's how he put it. He said, quote, It was a bit of a leap of faith, but I knew that if I didn't give it a shot, no matter what level, I would always regret it. So I went ahead and took a chance. If I started my engineering career and started doing well and I'd never given football a chance, I'd always look back and think, what if? So he went, he tried out, he made the team, he paid in one game. But then right after that, he parlayed that into a spot with the Florida Tuskers of the United Football League. And that is where Devlin's career took a critical turn. He was convinced to switch to fullback. The coach, Jay Gruden. And so he spent nine weeks with the Florida Tuskers. He learned the ins and outs of playing on the offensive side of the ball for the first time in a long time. His first positions in football were center and middle linebacker. And he did enough during that small period of time that when the UFL season ended, the Bengals came calling. As Devin put it, quote, a day after our UFL season ended, they called me, the Bengals that is, and brought me in for a tryout. That was another very good learning experience. I spent a lot of time watching film and going through practice. It was a very valuable spending time behind Chris Presley, who was a great fullback. I shadowed him and how he played the game while learning from a great coach in Jim Anderson. The next training camp, 2011, he got a shot, an actual shot in training camp. Why? Well, the Bengals had hired a new head coach. That head coach, Jay Gruden. So he had a chance to compete for a roster spot. He ultimately didn't get it, was waived at the end of training camp, right before the season started, but they brought him back on the practice squad. He spent the entire 2011 season on the practice squad. Same thing played out in 2012. Fought for a job in training camp. Lost, got waived. This time the Bengals didn't bring him back, but another team called him. The New England Patriots. Now I sort of want to skip ahead to how his ode ends, how his story ends, how his underdog tale ends. And that is the 2018 season. And if you sort of think about the 2018 season, 
right? This was an offense with the New England Patriots that was struggling to find an identity. It certainly wasn't, you know, the sort of Brady-esque, spread them out, throw it all over the place, throw it 50 times type of offense, right? Like, this is an offense that sort of down the stretch became a power rutting game. And we all remember the concerns about Brady, that Buffalo game in week sort of, I think it was week 16, where he just didn't look right. Gronkowski was hurt. I remember being on the Lockdown Patriots podcast and literally saying in front of this very microphone, in front of this very laptop, I don't think their passing game will be good enough. I don't think their passing game will be good enough in the playoffs. Wow. Again, you can add that to the list of things I've gotten wrong. But that season, sort of down the stretch, they did become that 21 personnel team. They ran 21 personnel on 213 plays in that 2018 season. The bulk of those plays, they ran the football. 211 of them, according to Warren Sharp's site, were running plays. They averaged 4.7 yards per carry and scored five touchdowns, four of which were from James Devlin. But they were a running team, largely with Devlin leading the way. And what was perhaps the three-word mantra of that second sort of Brady-era dynasty? Do your job. Right? Do your job. And that was sort of what they used as a rallying cry in 2014. It was the name of the America's game after that Super Bowl went over the Seattle Seahawks. It was titled Do Your Job. But that sort of became the rallying cry, the viewpoint of that era. Just do your job. And what's more quintessential of a do-your-job type of role than being a fullback, right? Like, think of it this way. No boy or girl grows up wanting to be a fullback, right? No boy or girl grabs a football and heads to the backyard or the nearest neighborhood park and says something like, okay, here we go, Super Bowl 58, two minutes left. And then gets into a three-point stance to throw a lead block. They mimic that they're under center. They mimic that they're in a shotgun. They pretend to be a quarterback or it may be a receiver. You walk into most kids' bedrooms and you don't see posters of Kyle Juszczyk and... Patrick Ricard on the wall. You don't see their jerseys in the closet. You see Lamar Jackson's. You see Patrick Mahomes's. You see Carson Wentz's. I can see those in my son's room. Like playing fullback is the ultimate sort of do your job position because you block. And even offensive lines become somewhat, I don't want to say glamorous, but famous. I mean, the Hogs, for example. You know, fullback is the ultimate do your job position. And Devlin's is the ultimate do-your-job career. And it's the ultimate underdog story. A player from Brown, a defensive end from the Ivy League, who starts his career with the Oklahoma City Yard Dogs of the Arena Football League, who makes to to the pinnacle of the sport. Where, prior to Super Bowl 53, you've got Maurice Jones-Drew on the NFL Network saying he's the most important running back in the game. And to get to that game, what did they do? Score four rushing touchdowns in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City at Arrowhead with Devlin leading the way. 
The overtime touchdown, watch it again. Devlin. The one touchdown in Super Bowl 53, watch it again. Who's a race in Mark Barron in the hole so Sonny Michelle can score? It's James Devlin. There's a reason I say that people will sing songs of his in the meat halls. And there's a reason this is not my first, but will unfortunately be my last ode to James Devlin. It's because his story is that story of doing your job. Of accepting your role within a team. And doing everything you can to make that team better. Now, there have been better football players. There have been more talented athletes that have come through the New England Patriots organization in the past 20 years. But in my years of following this team, first as a fan and then as an analyst, there are very few that I think more of than James Devlin. And I'm saddened that he's retired. He was an absolute joy and a privilege to watch and to cover and I had to take this opportunity to say one more ode in his name because he was a true football player a true teammate and the embodiment of that do your job mantra personified but his is also the ultimate underdog story up next Some thoughts on Patrick Chun, some thoughts on Jimmy Garoppolo, and a little bit more. That's ahead on episode 110 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 110 of The Sco Show. And having sung the final songs in honor of James Devlin, we turn now to more of the present. And we did get some Patriots news on Wednesday. Patriots news of the contractual type. New England Patriots coming to terms with a contract extension with safety Patrick Chun. The longtime veteran safety reached an extension on his current contract. According to Field Yates, who tweeted out the Patriots and safety Patrick Chun have agreed to a two-year extension through 2023 per sources. Chun gets $3 million to sign and is now due up to $12.8 million over the next four years. Now, of course, when it comes to All things Patriots-related, we turn to Miguel Benzon at Pat's Cap on Twitter, who immediately updated the salary cap number in his mind, tweeted out, my new Patriots salary cap tracker space number after accounting Patrick Chun's extension is $1.555 million. He referenced the breakdown that Mike Reese did of the deal. And so in Miguel's mind, this basically eliminates the idea that Patrick Chen will be one of those surprise cuts we often see from the New England Patriots come the end of training camp. This also, in all likelihood, means that the Patriots will now have the room to sign Kyle Duggar. Miguel was asked the question on Twitter, is this enough to sign Kyle Duggar? They will likely have to create more cap space to operate in 2020. As Miguel pointed out, the contract extension with Patrick Chung created up nearly a million dollars of cap space, $925,000. So as Miguel said, this A does create the cap space to sign Kyle Duggar. Signing him, in Miguel's words, will reduce the Patriots' salary cap space by $904,000, which is his signing bonus proration. But they will have to create more cap space to operate throughout the season. 
as Miguel has pointed out time and time again. You need to have the freedom to sign people throughout the year, bonuses, in-season bonuses, roster bonuses, things like that, that get paid out through the season. Some of those get tallied and factored into the cap, so you need to have the space to make those moves. But with this extension with Patrick Chung, they've now at least got the space to sign Kyle Duggars. They're moving in the right direction. Let's talk Jimmy Garoppolo here before we close things out. And I know that's a weird thing to say on a Patriots show, but as I indicated in episode 119 of the SCO show, the summer scouting project, for many, it means diving right into the next draft class. Diving right into the next crop of quarterbacks. And there will be part of that here. We have talked about Trevor Lawrence in the last show. We're going to talk about some of the other quarterbacks and some of the up-and-coming guys to watch in the next football season, whenever that happens. But it's also the summertime is is a good time to take a step back, watch some NFL guys, watch some sort of league average type players, right? So I'm going to be watching quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo, like Derek Carr, like Kirk Cousins, like Jacoby Brissett, some sort of league average or maybe above average type guys to reframe the mind around the questions, what works in the NFL and what doesn't. Because if all you do is watch college guy after college guy after college guy, you start to lose that mooring. You know, you start to lose sight of the shore. You start to forget what works in the league. And so I've been working my way through Jimmy Garoppolo's season so far. I've got two different pieces up and there will be more coming from me. One over at USA Today, Touch on Wire right now, which dives into more of a schematic component, what Kyle Shanahan does to help his quarterback. And it's a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show that Josh McDaniels does with Tom Brady, right? Pre-snap movement, pre-snap motion, you know, scheme, personnel, stuff like that to give Jimmy Garoppolo as much information as possible before the ball is snapped. Now, it doesn't mean it always works. You know, in that piece that is up over at Touchdown Wire, I break down a play from week two where the 49ers line up. They've got running back in the backfield. Tevin Coleman, they motion him out to the boundary, so they go empty. And Garoppolo knows pre-snap that they are in zone coverage because nobody trails him. Nobody shades him. And he's got a cornerback, Vernon Hargraves, over the running back who's now out on the left. And so he knows, look, they're in some sort of zone coverage. And then when the ball is snapped or right before it, he sees a free safety in the middle of the field. So he knows, look, this is cover three, right? This is some variation of cover three, and he can get into the weeds on stubby or stomp or cut or whatever. Right? It's some variation of cover three, right? And what they're running on the particular play is what some people call a stick fade. Some people call it stab. you got a hitch route from the running back on the outside, the middle receiver in this trips formation is going to be running on that slot fade route, and Jimmy, I mean George Kittle, excuse me, who's the tight end to that side, is going to be running a stick route. And so it works. That's why people call it smash fade. The read is the same. You're high, low, and the outside defender to that side of the field. Now, to put yourself in Garoppolo's shoes and cleats here, he knows they're in cover three. He knows they're in zone. He has all this information available to him pre-snap. And so he should expect that Hargraves, the cornerback, is going to get bracketed with a high-low here. 
If Hargrave stays deep, you throw the hitch. If he, for whatever reason, squats on the hitch, you throw the fade over his head, right? So armed with this information, Garoppolo makes what he thinks is the right decision, and he throws the hitch because he sees Hargrave off. And he wants to throw the hitch before that curl-flat defender, the sort of overhand defender, gets buzzes out to the outside. The problem is, and it's a weird thing to say, he almost anticipates it too much. Because... When he starts pulling the trigger, and I, I, I screen cap the moment where the ball is just coming out of his hand, the, the, the middle trips receiver has yet to even make his move vertically. Like, he's still down near the line of scrimmage. And Hargraves, for his part, he's given the hitch route cushion. He's given it like four yards of cushion. But he's staring through that seam, that slot fade receiver, right to Jimmy Garoppolo. By anticipating this too much, Garoppolo has basically given Hargraves the ability to stay patient and not declare his intentions. And so Hargrave can still play both routes. If Garoppolo waits a second or two, either Hargraves is going to have to turn and bail to get under that vertical route, or if he's still squatting there and trying to play it both, now he can throw it over his head. But by almost speeding himself up too much, he gets himself into trouble. He tries to throw that hitch before that flat defender can get out there. Hargraves can read it, jumps it, pick six. And that play, while I talk about it in the scheme component, that sort of concept I talk about in a video series I did over at Matt Waldman's site, Matt Waldman RSP, because I highlight some different plays where Garoppolo speeds himself up. I had a red zone play against Tampa Bay, for example. Actually, two red zone plays against Tampa. No, not two red zone plays. Two different plays against Tampa Bay. One in the red zone, one sort of in the open field where he had opportunities to make plays, but he artificially sped the process up with his footwork in other ways. And what did that do? It forced him to speed up his mind. And it led to mistakes. He had missed opportunities. He didn't reset his feet. He sped the process up too much. But to his credit, on a play later in the game that went for a touchdown, he had sort of a switch verticals concept to the left side. Rather than rushing it, rather than artificially speeding himself up, he slowed himself down. He reset the feet. He took that extra moment to set his feet, make sure the feet were properly underneath him, something he didn't do in the second play I highlight, and he hits it for a touchdown. And so as I continue to work through Garoppolo's 2019 season, that's something I'm going to keep an eye out for. Sort of, is he too impatient at times? Or can he sort of dial himself back and ground himself a bit to make some big plays? So, you know, that's sort of a start, a window into what I'm seeing with Garoppolo. Again, I'm going to be sprinkling in these sort of summer scouting reports throughout the shows this summer. It's going to be sort of... uh, sort of figure, a feature, a segment we're going to keep coming back to. So expect more stuff like this as we go. And of course, we'll be sprinkling in, of course, some of the college guys as we look ahead to some sort of college and pro season. But that will do it for today. I will be back Monday. Monday, we'll probably be doing some NFC East metrics that matter. That's the next division I'm going to be talking about. We'll talk about some other stuff. That's Monday. Until then, friends, stay safe. Wash those hands. Socially distance. And when you do wash those hands, sing along. And bless those Patriots' reigns down in Fox.